Well, Easter is about a lot of things. It's about family. It's about lilies and Easter dresses. It's about bunnies and meals. But at the core of Easter is the central fact of our faith that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and three days later he rose again from the dead. On Easter Sunday, the tomb was empty. Jesus Christ walked out of that tomb physically and bodily. He rose again from the dead. And this is the best news that the world has ever known. Because it means that Jesus Christ defeated death forever. That though we die, we, like Jesus, can rise again from the dead. But I know that sometimes this is hard to believe. And I would wager this morning that there's some of you that struggle with doubt today. And, you know, you almost have an inner skeptic, you know, kind of saying, what if, and and what about this, and what about that? Can I really believe this? Is, Is this too good to be true? You know, a lot of us, even in the seats here today on Easter morning, struggle with skepticism, questioning, and doubts. Years ago, I was a college pastor uh, by Yale University, and uh, I was ministering to a lot of really smart, uh, educated uh, college students. And there was one, uh, it was Easter Sunday, and there was one student, he was brilliant, and his name was David, David Kim. And on Sunday morning, he came up to me, and uh, he, he, sa- he said, Brent, you know, I, I admire your faith. And everybody around here, I just, they are people of faith. But he says, for me, I just struggle with doubts. He said, I- I'm a science major. And I'm rational, and I just struggle with doubts. And then he looked at me, and he said, Pastor, do you ever have doubts? And of course, to me, being the good pastor I was, I said, no, never. <laughs> if you're a Christian parent, you know the experience. You know, your child comes to you. And your child says, you know, mom, dad, can I believe this? Maybe they have a question about prayer or a question about miracles or a question about some other supernatural event. And you almost want to just say to your child, be quiet. No, 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 I didn't hear that. We get really nervous with doubt in the church. It's really, really hard if you're a doubter uh, here in church, uh, sitting in church here this morning. But what I want you to know this morning is that there is good news for those of you who doubt. Because if, you, if you're doubting here this morning, if you're skeptical, I want you to know that you are not alone. You stand shoulder to shoulder with many Christians down through the ages. At the first Easter, one of my favorite passages, it was the very first Easter. You see, the, some of the early, earliest Christians struggled with doubt. Jesus is standing there, the resurrected Jesus standing in front of his disciples. And in Matthew 28, 17, the disciples saw him coming, and it says that most of them worshipped, but it says, and some doubted. What an honest picture of the church. What an honest window into the, to Christians. Worshipping and doubting. John Ortberg wrote a book called Faith and Doubt, and he says the most important word in the title is the word and. Because it's not faith or doubt. He says faith always goes along with doubt. We believe and we doubt. They worshiped and they doubted. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. In some ways, it can be a companion on the journey to faith. And so this morning, we're going to look at one of the most famous uh, doubters in the Bible. His name is Doubting Thomas. And, And you need to know that Thomas was one of the very best a Thomas was a man of courage. You remember there was one time when Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem. It was a dangerous journey, and all the disciples said, no, don't go. We're all going to die. It was Thomas who said, let's go and die with him. 
He was courageous. Uh, it was Thomas when Jesus was going away, and he said, you know, I'm leaving, and you know where I'm going, and you know the way. And good, good old Thomas said, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. He was honest. He was a man of candor. Thomas was one of the best, and yet Thomas struggled with doubts about the resurrection. And what I want us to see through Thomas this morning is that doubt does not disqualify you from believing. In fact, a lot of times, doubt can actually strengthen your faith. When Thomas goes down the road of doubt, he comes back, and his faith is not just back to normal. His faith is actually stronger because he doubts. Doubt could actually be something that leads us to higher levels of faith. Through doubt, we could make progress. That's what we're going to see this morning. And I want to ask two questions about Thomas. Number one, why did Thomas doubt? And then second of all, we're going to ask, why did Thomas come to faith? And so first, uh, we'll ask the question, why did Thomas doubt? And we've got to be brief here because it's speculation. The, 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 the passage doesn't really tell us why Thomas doubted. We have to kind of do some guesswork here. But it, it, might, it might be because it was just his temperament. Uh, you know, if Thomas would have taken the Myers-Briggs, if they had it back then, I think that Thomas would have been what is called a sensing person rather than an intuitive person. And so the Myers-Briggs test calls a sensing person uh, this way. It says, a sensing person is someone who pays more attention to physical reality, facts, and hard, cold evidence. An intuitive person goes on, uh, goes on more perceptions, instincts, and intuitions. Strongly sensing persons often find it harder to put their faith in things that are not empirically proven or provable. It could, not, it could be that Thomas had this type of temperament, right? He was just a skeptical type. And there are some of you here this morning, you are, you're more scientific and maybe you're more sensing. You like hard, cold evidence. Another possibility is, is maybe Thomas just had a worldview issue. You know, maybe Thomas, in his worldview, people uh, who died stayed dead, Right? Uh, you know, he could have just said, you know, they, all the disciples said, oh, we saw Jesus. He rose again from the dead. And Thomas said, I'm sorry. That just doesn't happen. You know, C.S. Lewis says that a lot of modern people suffer from what's called chronological snobbery, uh, which, which means that, you know, we say we're modern people. We're post-enlightenment. We just cannot believe in things like miracles and the resurrection anymore. Yeah, back then, ancient people, they were more gullible, they were more credulous about things like resurrection and miracles, but, yeah, you know, we're in the scientific age. We just can't believe that anymore. Well, here's Thomas way back then, and he says, look, I'm sorry. Dead people stay dead. He found it just as hard to believe as we do in a resurrection. And there's a lot of skeptical people that think that, that Thomas actually represents them pretty well in this passage. You know, they say, if I was, yeah, I would have said exactly what Thomas said here in, in this passage. And so it could have just been, this just went against everything Thomas knew to be true. It could be uh, that Thomas, that this doubt was not even, uh, that wasn't really intellectual at all. It could have been more of an emotional uh, response here when Thomas doubts. There's no reason to believe that, that Thomas didn't love Jesus just as much as the other disciples. And when Jesus Christ died, uh, I think that Thomas probably was very disappointed. Jesus had let him down. He had gotten his hopes up. He had put his hope in Jesus, and Jesus had let him down. 
And maybe he was saying, I, I just can't do, I can't put myself through that again. Yeah, I know you say he's alive. I know you say he's here, but I, I just cannot put my faith through that again. And there are some of us here that doubt because, because we feel like God has let us down. God didn't answer your prayer when you thought that he should have. You, your life didn't turn out the way you thought it should, especially for someone who believes in Jesus. And there's a lot of deep emotional reasons why we doubt. Doubt doesn't just happen in an intellectual vacuum. Someone once said that, that doubt often masquerades itself as more intellectual than it is. There are deep personal reasons why you might be skeptical here this morning. And maybe like Thomas, you're just saying, I can't put myself through that again. I've got a doubt because I don't know that my faith could take it anymore. Whatever reason it was, we know that Thomas doubted whether it was, uh, you know, more his temperament or maybe it was a worldview thing or maybe it was more uh, emotional. Whatever the reason was, we know that Thomas's doubt was incredibly strong. This was not just sort of a, a passing little thought that he had. Because notice in his statement here, he says, if I don't see Jesus' wounds, I will never believe. That's a very strong word. Never is a strong word, isn't it? I will never believe. But we also know, I want you to see, that even though P Thomas expresses such strong doubt, that just a few verses later, Thomas expresses one of the most strongest statements of Jesus' divinity in all the Bible. He looks at Jesus, and after all of this doubt, says, my Lord and my God. So even though he had strong doubts, and even though we could have very strong doubts, that doubt can often lead us to very strong statements and feelings of belief, just like it did with Thomas. So how did Thomas get there? Why did Thomas's doubt lead him to faith? How did Thomas come to believe? This morning, I want us to see three things that he did, three things that we can do that will help us to believe and work through our doubts. So number one, the first thing that Thomas did is he doubted his doubts. Uh, if you're experiencing doubt this morning about the resurrection and you're finding this hard to believe, many, many of us do, the first thing I want you to do is doubt your doubts. Thomas says, I will never believe. And then Jesus walks in the door and says, are you sure about that? Thomas, he makes a strong statement of doubt, and Jesus questions that doubt as he walks in the door. And he's saying, Thomas, I want you to doubt your doubt. You see, because the culture, you know, we live in a culture that almost lionizes doubt, doesn't it? it doubt is almost the air that we breathe in a secular world. Doubt is seen as the hallmark of intellectual integrity. It's seen as the only honest position. And, and a believer is someone who's a simpleton. You know, a believer is somebody who sort of has checked their brain at the door. But I want you to, you know, and it's, I think sometimes that can be a healthy position. You know, the, the culture says doubt your beliefs and, and, and uh, believe your doubts can sometimes be healthy. But I want you to, how about doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. Be an equal opportunity doubter. <laughs> doubt should go both ways. Right? Don't just doubt your faith. Why do you doubt? Why do you find it so hard to believe in Christianity? Yeah, you may have doubted it for a very long time, but, but is that right? Are your doubts true? Because every doubt is based on an alternative belief. You know, secularism uh, is not the absence of faith, but a new set of beliefs about the sovereignty of science and secularism. 
The choice is not whether to believe or not to believe, but which narrative of, of ultimate reality will I believe? Someone says, look, I cannot believe. I'm a man of science. And there, if I cannot prove it scientifically, then it cannot be true. Truth is only that which can be proven by science. Well, that itself is a statement of faith. You cannot prove that statement empirically. All of your doubts are based on alternative beliefs. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, all doubts, however skeptical and cynical they, they may seem, are really a set of alternative beliefs. You cannot doubt belief A except from a position of faith in belief B. For example, if you doubt Christianity because there can't be just one true religion, you must recognize that this statement is itself an act of faith. No one can prove it empirically, and it is not at a universal truth that everyone accepts. If you went to the Middle East and said, there can't just be one true religion, nearly everyone would say, why not? The reason you doubt Christianity Christianity's belief A is because you hold unprovable belief B. Every doubt, therefore, is based on faith. The only way to doubt Christianity rightly and fairly is to discern the alternative belief under each of your doubts and then ask yourself what reasons you have for believing that. Discern the alternative beliefs. Why do you doubt? Is your doubt based on a credible belief? Doubt your doubts. Be an equal opportunity doubter. I'm reading a book right now by Julian Barnes, who is a self-proclaimed agnostic. It's called Nothing to be Frightened of. And uh, the book begins with, I don't believe in God, but I miss him. And he says, I've always been agnostic. I've always believed that, you know, life after death is so far-fetched and resurrection and miracles, it's so hard to believe that. He says, I've always been skeptical about eternal life, but he says, now I'm getting old. He's 74 when he writes the book, and he says, I'm beginning to doubt my doubts. Why didn't I believe in the afterlife? Why did I think that, that everything has a natural cause and a scientific explanation? If there is no eternal life, then doesn't that make this life meaningless? Julian Barnes is beginning to doubt his doubts. And so Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, are you sure about that? Yeah, listen to your doubts, but are they based on credible beliefs? The, 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 the decision isn't between belief and, don't, and not belief. It's between alternative beliefs and which one is the most credible. So Jesus says, doubt your doubts. Here's the second thing he tells Thomas to do, I think. He wants Thomas to feed his faith. So if you're doubting, here's the second thing. You need to feed your faith. If you're struggling to believe in the resurrection and you, you've got this inner skeptic that's saying, what if and how do I know? I want you to feed your faith and first do it by examining the evidence. What I love here is when Jesus shows up to Thomas, he doesn't shame him for doubting. He gives Thomas exactly the evidence that Thomas is asking for. And you've got to give Thomas credit because at least Thomas is taking his faith seriously. Thomas has, is making hard demands on his faith. He's not just going to believe everything hook, line, and sinker. He's saying, look, listen, I, need, I know what I need to believe. Do you know what you need to believe? Do you know what you struggle with? What do you find uh, incredible about the Christian faith? What, what do you find hard to believe? Identify what that is and look for evidence. 
Thomas says, this is exactly what I need. And Jesus Christ shows up and says, okay, good. Examine the evidence. Touch my scars. Put your hands in my wounds. Jesus confronts Thomas's doubt with evidence. And are you serious enough about your faith to examine it? Don't be afraid of your doubt. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, a faith without any doubts or without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about what they believe as they do, and as they do, they will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. So you have to give this to Thomas. He is not blithely going through life too busy or indifferent to ask, to ask hard questions. Thomas is asking the hard questions. He's listening to his doubt. And there are many of us, we have a doubt, we pretend it's not there, we go on with life, and we, and we just sort of move on with the same level of faith. But Thomas is not content with that. He's going to question his faith. He's going to examine the evidence, and his faith is stronger for it. Examine the evidence. Nourish your faith. Because examining the evidence could strengthen what you believe. I've always been afraid of flying. Some of you uh, may be with me on this one. And, you know, I know that it's safe to fly. I know that uh, it's actually safer to get into an airplane than it is to get into an automobile. But every time I go to an airport and as, I, and as, I, as I'm walking down that on-ramp onto the plane, I could hear the, the jets going and I see the wing kind of going up and down like that. Why? That's, that can't be right. It's got to be on there stronger than that. And then I sit down in my seat and all I can think about is that twilight zone where the monster's on the wing pulling wires out of there. What do I do when I start doubting my belief in the safety of airplanes? I begin to examine the evidence. I remind myself, it is safe to fly. I was looking on NPR last week, and actually, there, for $2.99, you can buy an app called Am I Going Down? <laughs> and it uses aviation statistics to calculate the risk of a crash on your upcoming flight. Some of you who are afraid of flying, you're very welcome for that, by the way. If you're having doubts, nourish your faith on the evidence. We're about to go into a series called Questioning Your Faith. You saw a little card for it in the seat this morning. And for six weeks, we're going to examine the evidence for Christianity. Christianity does not ask you to believe incredible things. There are, there are credible reasons to believe in the resurrection. And for the next set, six weeks, come on back, shameless plug, we're going to examine the faith and look at the evidence and the credibility for our beliefs. Because there are many people that carry their childhood perspective on the Bible and faith into adulthood. Right? They have a child version of Christian faith, a Sunday school version. And as they get older, they, they, they go to a college class, and, and immediately that, that simplistic faith is, is uh, dismantled, and then they abandon it. Oh, I just can't believe that stuff. Well, what if you allowed your faith to grow with you? What if you started to examine the evidence and you started to get a little bit more sophisticated and nuanced faith? And asking hard questions and examining evidence can help you believe in the Bible 
in a more mature way. Notice also that that Thomas didn't doubt in isolation. Uh, He nourishes his faith by not only asking questions and examining evidence, he does it in the context of community. Listen, if you are struggling with doubt, the worst thing you can do is do it on your own. So I'm I'm struggling with doubt. Well, I better not go to church anymore. I better just stay home and think about my doubts a little bit more. You do that, your doubts are going to get worse. You never doubt in an intellectual vacuum. And so if you're struggling, you struggle in the context of a loving community of faith. And I hope that fellowship can be a place where it is safe to doubt. The book of Jude says, be compassionate towards those who doubt. And I hope that this can be a place where we are not afraid to ask hard questions. And if you're struggling, you can tell other people that. I hope that you could come to Jesus and tell him about your doubt. You know, there are people that have doubted me in the past. Marnie! I can't believe that. If you're doubting me, one of the best things you can do is come and talk to me about your doubt. Because so often when you have a conversation, the doubts are cleared away. And one of the best things you can do is talk to Jesus about your doubt in the context of community. If you look in the Old Testament book of Psalms, the psalmist is always talking to God about his doubts. God, I don't believe in you. I'm so frustrated with you. Talk to God about your doubts in the context of community. I've got a great friend here who... Uh, At one point in his life, he was struggling with doubt, and he didn't know what to do about it. And he says, what I decided to do was I asked myself the question, what would a believer do? If I really believed, what would I do? And he says, well, I guess a believer would pray. And so he prayed to the God he was struggling to believe in. And he says, by doing that, I almost practiced my way back into, into faith. So feed your faith. Here's the third thing I want you to do. I want you to take a leap. I want you to take the leap. Thomas eventually had to take the leap into faith. I want you to see that Jesus was so compassionate with Thomas when he doubted. There's no condemnation. There's no shaming at all. There's incredible patience with Thomas. He takes Thomas, he gives Thomas the the benefit of the doubt, and he he says, listen, I'm going to take your doubt seriously. And it is okay to question, and it is okay to examine evidence, but after you've questioned, and after you've examined the evidence, and after you've doubted your doubts and and looked at all the reasons for faith, he says, Thomas, there comes a point where you just have to decide to believe. It doesn't mean that you, you believe and never doubt again. It just means that with all of your doubts and with all of your questions, you say, you know what? I've, at some point, I've got to land the plane. You cannot stay up in the air forever. At some point, you've got to make a decision. At some point, at some point you've got to commit because questioning your faith and, and doubting and doubting and doubting almost as a way of life, perennial doubt, in other words, is not a good place to be. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, you cannot go on seeing through things forever. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. To see through all things is the same as not to see. And at some point, you've got to land, you've got to stop questioning, questioning and, and, and even if you're cynical and you've got an S personality type, at some point, you've got to decide, I am going to commit. I'm going to believe. 
Because faith is not the same thing as certainty. You know, you can decide on something before you're certain about it. And faith is, is not, don't think about faith as, oh, I'm so certain and I'm 100% sure. Instead, think of faith as trust. And there are, some time, there are times in life when you just have to trust, when you have to make a 100% commitment without a 100% certainty. One of the most important decisions I've, I've ever made in life, aside from getting married, was moving to Batesville. And I, I remember, uh, you know, this was such a leap of faith for me to come. I'm from California. And, and coming to Arkansas was just, I'd never known anything like a town of 10,000 before. I didn't, I'd never been to Arkansas, and it was, and it was such a leap of faith. And, and I had evidence for coming. I felt a call from God. I felt, you know, I had had interviews with, with the search committee, and we kind of resonated with one another. I'd met you all, and I kind of liked you. Thank you. <laughs> like, there was evidence. There was, it's not like I'd made a leap in the dark. I mean, there was good evidence to make this decision. But I was looking for certainty. That's my personality type. I wanted certainty. I wanted to know for sure. And I remember Anita was having our uh, third baby at the time, and we were in the hospital room there. And I was praying about this decision, and I was, it was going back and forth in my mind. And I looked on her, the side of her hospital bed, and it said Batesville on it. There's actually a, a casket company in uh, Indiana called Batesville Casket Company. And I thought, ooh, Batesville, that's a sign from God. I must be called to go there. But then I thought, well, wait a minute, it's a casket company. It might mean that if I go to Batesville, I'll end up in a casket, right? Right? At some point, I had to make a 100% commitment without 100% certainty. And this is just the way life is. Neutrality is not always an option. You've got to live. You have to make choices. I have to spend my life praying or not praying, worshiping or not worshiping. I have to be guided by some values and desires, and then I have to die. I must give my life to something. My life is the ballot cast for or against God. To be decided, to be undecided, is to be decided. And after you've looked at all the evidence and you've doubted your doubt and 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 you've thought it all through, at some point, you've got to land the plane. You've got to believe. So this morning, I want to call you to do that. If you're sitting here this morning, and you, maybe you've been struggling with doubt, and you've been wanting certainty, you've wanted a watertight argument, and you've looked at all the evidence, and maybe you, you feel like God is saying, you know, it's, it's time. It's time to believe. I would love to give you an opportunity to do that. We have a text number. It's going to come up on the screen. And if that's you here this morning, if you've been struggling and you just know it is time for you to land the plane, I want you to text uh, to this number and just text the word follow, and uh, we'll get in contact with you. And maybe you're not quite ready. Maybe you're kind of right on the edge or you want someone to answer your questions. We'd love to talk to you. We would love to talk to you about your doubts. We would love to work, you, work through with you this whole issue of faith. And so if this is you, we want to open the door for you to contact with us, make contact with us. And, and uh, if you want to believe this morning, text that number or just talk to me after the service. You might be saying, well, Brent, how do I know that I could do this? How do I know that I could trust Jesus? Well, Thomas saw the nails 
nail scars in Jesus' hands. He saw the scars in Jesus' feet. And those those weren't just evidence of his resurrection. They were evidence of his love for Thomas. They weren't just evidence that, yes, I I can defeat death. They were evidence that this is how committed I am to you, you, Thomas. This is how much I love you, Thomas. Look at my scars. Look at these nails. Nail scars. Nails were gone at that point. Look at my wounds. Can you trust me? He says, Thomas, stop doubting. Believe. Trust. And maybe that's God's word for you this morning. You can trust Jesus Christ. He was died. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He's committed to you. He has a dying commitment to you. God came into this earth to die on on that cross for your sins and to rise again from the dead. He punched a hole in death and he came out the other side. And he looks at you and me and he says, follow me. Believe in me. 100% commitment, even though you don't have 100% certainty. Nothing in life is like that. Jesus calls you to believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning that you are a God so patient with our doubts. You give us the dignity of taking our doubts seriously. And God, I pray that if, if there are those this morning who are skeptical, that if, if they have faith but they also have doubts, Lord, I pray that as they go down that road of doubt that you would bring them back, not just back to normal, but back with stronger faith. Lord, I pray that you would nourish us today as we celebrate the resurrection. God, I pray that your people, your people with faith and worshiping and doubting, God, your people who look to you, God, that you would speak, that you would show us that you love us, that you would remind us of your scars, and God, that you would grant us the power to believe. And we pray this in Jesus' name.